Uh, other than God, what is the best example of love that you have seen? Best example of love. One, one that came to my mind was my grandparents. Here they are. They don't flicker that much, or they didn't flicker that much in real life. Um, there, there they are on the... That was their 70th wedding anniversary. 70 years together uh, when that photo was taken. Um, they're both in glory now, but, uh, but yeah, there, there they are together. And my grandma uh, was actually quite ill uh, and fell ill uh, during, towards the end of her life with dementia. She was in a nursing home uh, receiving full-time care. Uh, but my granddad spent years of his life, years and years of his life, going every day, sitting with her, sitting by her bed, spending time with her, uh, even as she grew worse, uh, as uh, her memory faded, as her personality changed, uh, as the illness kind of took hold, he was there, right to the end. And it was just this amazing example of real committed love. You know, he, he proved how much he cared for, how much he loved her, uh, by what he did, by how he, how he uh, cared for her right to the end. A real great example of love. Uh, in the run-up to summer, we are spending some time thinking about our church mission statements uh, here, uh, here at KCC. It's really good for us to have it in mind, to be thinking about what it means uh, to have these priorities in, in our DNA as a church, why they're so important to us. Uh, and if you're new to the church, which is me, I know I've only been here for, what, six, seven months. Uh, if, you're, if you're new and joining us, then it means you get to hear a bit about kind of what's, what we think is really important, what we prioritise as a church. Uh, and it's good for all of us, isn't it, to be remembering these things. Uh, and there's a question for us to be thinking about all the way through. Uh, I mentioned it when I spoke before as well. It's, it's do these things that we have on paper, do they really reflect who we are outwardly, how we, how we act as a church, how we behave? Does it really impact you know, what drives us? So our mission statement, again, apologies, is making disciples as disciples, growing in love for God, for our church family, for everyone else. And we do that by worshipping God as family, telling the gospel and doing good. And today we're going to focus on that sort of second line down, uh, growing in love for God, for our church family and for everyone else. <coughs> I guess instinctively they sound, that sounds right, doesn't it? It sounds like a good thing to have uh, in your kind of church mission statements. I guess it, it, it sounds, sounds right. But ultimately we want to think about why. Why is it such an important thing for us to love God and love other people? How, is God, how does God point to, to this as a priority for us as a church? That's what we're going to be thinking about uh, today and what it means to do that well. We saw in, in Deuteronomy, didn't we? We saw it in verse 5. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. It's really clear. We are called to love God. But before we dig into this command, before we think a bit more about that, I think we just need to set something really foundational in place first. Uh, and it's this, my first heading. We love because we have been loved. We love because we have been loved. <laughs> Uh, earlier this year, we spent time in the book of Exodus together. We looked at uh, how God saved his people. They were crying out in slavery. They, they were in huge pain and suffering and, and hard labor. And God came in great power to deliver them and rescue them and bring them out of that place. And we saw that it wasn't because they deserved it. It wasn't kind of, of their, on their own merit that this happened. They were sl slow to trust God. They often doubted him. They really, you know, they, they dragged their feet a lot 
instead of trusting what God had said. But they were saved because God loved them. God had chosen, God had made a promise to Abraham, their great, 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 however many grandfather, uh, years before, this covenant promise that he would save his people, and that's what he does. We saw lots of gospel pictures, particularly the one uh, of the blood around the doorframe of the lamb, saving the firstborn son, being saved through sacrifice of another. There's this grace, there was grace all the way through Exodus in how the people were saved. And we need to have that in mind because when we come to Deuteronomy, which is after Exodus, it kind of just sets that, that in place, that, that kind of gives us that foundation to remember that actually what they're told to do is always in response to the grace they've been shown. It has to be that way around. And it's exactly the same for us. It's exactly the same for us. A couple of verses from 1 John for you here. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then a little bit later on, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Really critical to understand that. That we love God, we love others in return, only because he first loved us. That, that's the way round. And before we consider what it means for us to love him, we've got to grasp that reality that it, it starts with him loving us, not the other way around. He's the one who, who reached down and lifted us out of that pit of despair, rescuing us from sin. Without God, we would be hopelessly lost, completely lost, without hope. And now in Christ, if we're trusting him, we have life and forgiveness and certain hope. So we love because we have been loved. That's true in life, isn't it? If, if we have loving parents, or we've been shown love by friends, family, teachers, then we kind of know what it's like to love other people. We kind of know how to, to, to do the same thing, because we've been set good examples. Of course, it's never perfect when it's human relationships. We let each other down, we don't always get it right, and sometimes... We're not shown love like we should be, and it's painful. That's why we come to Christ's example of love. We always come back to that. His perfect love. He came and laid down his life. He went to the cross to save us. That is such love, isn't it? He did that not because he had to, but because he chose to. He chose to do that for us. And surely when we really grasp that depth of love, when it, when it sinks down deep, when we realise the security that comes from that, that love, that gracious love, that means we are, we are safe and protected. We're saved by grace. That's when we start to follow that example, love people in return. So we've got that framework. Now we turn, let's, let's think about what this passage says in particular about why we should love God. And really the message is this, we are to love God with everything. We are to love God with everything. Look at verse 4 again uh, with me. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now Deuteronomy is kind of Moses' farewell speech, farewell sermon maybe to God's people. They've been spent, they spent a long time in the desert, wandering here and there. And now here they are on the verge of the promised land. That they're, they're coming close to kind of what God has promised. And Moses is saying, look, you've got to understand, you've got to remember what God has promised to you. How he's made this covenant promises with you. These really special promises that will never be broken. 
And so you, it's a kind of, look, you've been shown such love, now you respond with love, with devotion. And we'll, if you go through the Bible, you see these verses are so crucial, so key uh, for understanding that relationship with God. They're, they're, they're repeated again and again throughout Scripture. And there's a real focus in them on everything. That's why I've chosen that word, everything. You see, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. They're kind of words that overlap slightly, but really they're meant to be taken together. It's just a way of emphasising a total commitment to God. It's a bit like, you know, if I said, I, I came here in a car, you'd kind of understand, but if, if I said something like, I came with my whole engine and with my wheels and with my seats and with the steering wheel and with the fuel, I'm really emphasising, you know, how I came. And it's a little bit like that here. It's like, look, love God with everything you've got, your whole heart, your whole soul, your whole strength. And that word strength, it's not just kind of, inner strength it's actually got a wider meaning it's like the things that give us strength in the world for for Israel it would have been their possessions their their land so you see it's not just it's it's right from you know the inward point of the heart right inside us all the way out to everything we have everything we own everything we're to commit to God we're to love him with everything that we have really really incredible thing to, to, to have uh, commanded here. Now the context, if you if you just if you can see in the the Bible, uh, chapter five is the Ten Commandments. Moses is reiterating uh, what they heard in the desert. Lots of things that they were to do in order to obey God and, and follow God. So you see the connection here. You've got this this love God by obeying, by doing what He says. It's not just a feeling; it's a commitment to action. It's a commitment to, to devotion. And obedience. Now, when we think about love today, it often is quite a self-centered thing, isn't it? It's quite a, a me-centered thing. Think about romantic love, for example. Um, you see it in the movies, you see it on TV shows. You get this kind of fairy tale picture of, of love and, and romance, and and, and it, ever, it just everything seems like it's going to be perfect. And then you go into marriage expecting a fairy tale and you realise very quickly that's not, that's not what marriage is like because we're married to another sinner and they don't always get it right and we don't get it always right and actually if you go into marriage expecting a fairy tale you'll be very disappointed that's why mar- the marriage ceremony that the core of it is a promise these covenant promises that you make to each other in good times and bad in sickness and in health that you need to, you know, that there's actions that back up that commitment. Sometimes you hear of people getting divorced and the reasons are just kind of, well, we just didn't love each other anymore. Or we just wasn't really feeling it anymore. I wasn't getting what I wanted from my marriage. And you think, that's not, that's not a biblical understanding of love. There's no commitment there to, that even, you know, even if you're not feeling it on a certain day, you're committed to love uh, and show that like that example maybe of my grandparents you know my granddad he showed his love in his actions even when my grandma couldn't return his love in the same way anymore and of course it's more than romantic love isn't it it's love between friends between family between us as a church are we ready to love and show it in costly sacrificial ways are we ready to to act out what the love means to us We see something of that in the next few verses. Look at verse 6 with me. 
These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You see the connections there? It starts, love the Lord your God with everything. And then immediately goes to this, know his commands, obey his commands. It needs to be there in your hearts. You see that? It's got to be there right inside us. You should be driven to love God, driven to obedience, not just to kind of impress other people, but because you really love God. It should be a family matter. We're called to impress them on our children, to teach them the truth, to teach them the good news, why it's such a joy to know God. We're to talk about them. They're to be on our mind, on our lips, day by day. Uh, as we live our lives. And they're outwardly too. You see, we've got these symbols. They're told to have symbols on their hands and on their foreheads. And then very clearly written on your homes. That's a sort of very public declaration, isn't it? That I belong to God. Me and my family, we love and obey him. And it's right there on the frame, the door frames of your house. What they're saying is that love for God, it's to permeate all of life. Everything you do, it should be devoted to him, responding to his love, loving him in return, doing what he says. So that leads us to a question, doesn't it? Do you love God? Are you devoted to him? Are we a church that is known for our love for God? Is that how we, is that, we show that in how we live out our faith? Do people see KTC and think, well, look, even if I don't agree with what they teach... I see their faith and I see their love for God. Uh, when I was in Woodford, I worked with a missionary who lived on the local estate, uh, kind of reaching out to, to that estate in particular. And he, in the few years that he lived there, you know, he, he became known as a reliable person, a dependable person, a man of God. You know, uh, he really clearly cared for people. He wanted them to come and know God. You saw him on a Sunday, you saw his love for God expressed in how he worshipped and how he uh, loved other people there but then in the community people could knew that they could go to his door and ask for help if they needed to he wanted people to come and understand the, the, the love that he knew for themselves is that the case for us is that the case for us where we live where we work are we that kind of point of call because we know that, that they know that we love them I think for, for us at the minute, probably, we're known as the house with the screaming kids, to be honest. I don't, I don't you know, long term, my hope is that is not, that is not going to be, you know, what we're known for as a family on that estate, is that, we, you know, we've just got loud kids. Hopefully, you know, we can love people well there, and people will see that. How do we do that? Well, look at the first commandment back in chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 6 says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. And he goes on to command them not to make idols of anything that would replace God in their hearts and and in their worship. And actually, if you know the book of Exodus, we didn't get this far, we might go back to it. Uh, You know, in chapter 32, if you go to chapter 32, you see what happens. The people get bored waiting for Moses to come back. And they say, well, he's not coming back. Let's, let's make a, uh, an idol, make, make something that we can worship. And they make this golden calf to kind of represent uh, the God that they worshipped. 
And I guess we kind of read a story like that, don't we, and think, well, at least we're not that silly, you know? We feel a bit superior. At least we wouldn't make a mistake like that. I mean, how silly it is to, to offer worship to a statue. How would they think that could possibly bring them peace and joy and happiness and, and all those things? But then maybe we examine our own hearts and our own idols and we think, actually, maybe we're not that far away from that at all. A basic definition, maybe, is anything that we love more than God. We're called to love God with everything. If there is something that we put in that place, it becomes an idol. It's something we, we ultimately we worship instead. The latest technology, good grades, popularity, our homes, our gardens. I'm sure the Israelites would look at us and think, well, actually, they're, 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 those idols are just as silly. They're not, they're not going to give the, the, the things that we really long for, that we can only find in Christ. It's hard, though, isn't it, to, to spot these idols in our hearts. It's hard to, 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 to identify them sometimes. Sometimes maybe it's because, actually, we don't want to admit it. We don't want to admit, even to ourselves, that we've made an idol of our politics, our work, our relationships, our comfort. It's easier just to kind of justify it slightly and say, well, you know, I, I maybe think about it a bit too much, but it's not, it's not a big deal. <coughs> now, it's probably good to say that actually not everything that, that, that we love is an idol. There's good things that we have to enjoy and, and God has given us good gifts and we can appreciate God's good gifts without replacing him. But at the same time, I think for each one of us, it sometimes goes too far. And sometimes there are things we put in God's place. So how do we spot them? How do we identify things that, that prevent us loving God as we should? As I was preparing, I found a couple of helpful articles online about this. I can point them to you. I just want to share a few bits of wisdom that I, I gleaned from them. One shared a wise point that actually he, he was chatting to his children about what idolatry is. And one of them said this to him. You know it's an idol if you think you could never be happy without it. You know it's an idol if you think you could never be happy without it. That's powerful wisdom, isn't it? Think about maybe there are things that you're already spark, sparking in, that you can think of in, in your own heart, in your own life. Would I really be happy without that? It's a challenge, isn't it? Sometimes maybe, maybe we realise there's more going on than we first think. Well, one of the, another article I found gave me some helpful areas to suggest just to get us thinking, to get us reflecting, what, what areas of our lives do we need to examine to, to kind of push out those idols, help us see a bit more clearly? So here's, here's a few. Let me talk you through them. It's wise for us to examine our imagination. What do you daydream about? When your mind wanders, is it to material goods? Is it you know, the latest iPhone or some amazing holiday? Is it something less physical, maybe like the fame or approval, something like that. We need to examine our attention. What happens? You know, sometimes we end up thinking, well, I'd rather do something else than spend time with God, than grow in faith, and even you know, come to church. Someone's like, what would I rather be doing than growing in my faith? Are there things we waste our time with that we basically just use to avoid doing something productive for God? We need to examine our finances. What do we spend our disposable income on? What do we long for? What do we save up for? Are we generous or are we kind of tight-fisted with what God has given us? 
We need to examine our prayer lives. How do you feel when God doesn't respond, doesn't answer your prayer in the way that you hoped he would? Do you trust, actually, yeah, God knows best? Or do you become angry and bitter? Do we have unanswered prayers that that make us doubt God's goodness? That make us think, maybe I should look somewhere else? We need to examine our relationships. What person do you love the most? Who do you want to please the most? Do we have friendships? Do we have relationships like that 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 ultimately lead us away from God? What about our emotions? That's a big one, isn't it? What what, What do we most fear? What do we hope for? What are we passionate about? What do we desire? What makes you angry? What makes you sad? Sometimes these things can take over. Concerns, this is a big one. What do you worry about? What makes you anxious? What do you fear losing? That's a really powerful one, I think. And then examine your past and your future. If you could go back into the past, what would you think, oh, I'd love to go back and change that. What's your biggest regret? Or what would you, would you really hope will happen in the future for you? What, what do you think, would, would, I just wouldn't be able to, to cope if that didn't happen for me? There's a lot there, isn't there? I deliberately haven't given concrete examples because I feel like we just need to let God speak to us here. God needs to, to, to reveal in our hearts that the areas we might be putting too much emphasis on, replacing God with man-made things, with things that are never going to to, to, to satisfy us and, and bring forgiveness and hope like Christ. You know it's an idol if you think you could never be happy without it. What's God convicting you about today? Actually, when we consider the love that we've been shown by God, the, 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 the huge sacrifice, the, the how he has cared for us and adopted us into his family, surely it's right, isn't it, for us to devote ourselves to love him to battle those areas we might find ourselves falling into idolatry. I'm sure it's easy to be discouraged, though. I, I, this morning I was feeling quite discouraged, actually, as I was you know, preparing this and praying through this, just thinking, oh, I just don't love God enough. It just feels like I don't love God enough because there's all these other things going on in my heart that can pull me one way or that, one way or that, this way or that. And I had to go back you know, to, to that verse in 1 John, 1 John 4. 1 John 4, 9 actually says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And it's just like, oh yeah, of course. Of course I don't love God enough. That's why he came to save me. That's why he, he, he laid down his life to, 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 to give me forgiveness and hope by his grace, by this sacrifice. We, we don't love God enough and that's why he came to save us. And that's why we can now love him in response to that. Always in gratitude, always first trusting his love. Trusting that, that our actions, they're made perfect through Christ. It's hard to understand, isn't it? But there is there's security in loving God because of how much greater his love is for us. There's lots there. I've focused quite a lot today on loving God. But remember, there was two other things in that statement at the start. Loving others and loving everyone else. Where do those fit in? Well, just quickly at the end, think about that. Let's think about this. That our love for God should overflow to others. Our love for God should overflow to others. 
Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. If you've got a Bible there, Luke chapter 10. Um, This is a helpful passage. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Now, I was saying, wasn't I, that those verses in Deuteronomy were important. And we see it all the way through scripture. God's people held on to this command really closely. The most important command you've ever received is to love God with everything. Then we will see a second one, don't we? The second is similar. Love your neighbour as yourself. It's like those two things, love God and love your neighbour, sums up everything God tells God's people to do. It sums up the whole law. In other words, our love for God, it should overflow. It should pour out in how we love other people around us. And we're going we're gonna to think more about this in the weeks ahead. Actually, what we're going to see in the weeks ahead, that, that the four kind of outworkings of our, our, our mission statement kind of flow out of this concept of, of love. So if we think about our love for God, we love God, so we worship him. We love each other, so we do things as a family before God. We, we are a family together. And in terms of loving everyone else, everyone around us, we tell the gospel. We, we do good. We show God's love to those who don't know him. So we're going to think more about this in the weeks ahead as we look at these four, the four things along the bottom. Uh, we're going to unpack this more. But that's why we have to begin with this concept of love. Loving God, loving other people. It's really important. Actually, it's a mark of discipleship. There's some verses in John's Gospel that say this. John 13, 34. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We learnt this as a memory verse at, uh, at Woodford. I can still sing you the song at some point if you come and ask me. Uh, but it's really important. It's really, these are really good verses because you see, Jesus says that love one another. But it's not any ordinary love, is it? It's as I have loved you, you must love one another. That sacrificial love, the love that he has poured out, we love others, other people with that love. And it makes us distinctive, do you see? If we do that, everyone will know we are Jesus' disciples. So we should pray, shouldn't we, that that, that that would be a mark of our church. This sort of genuine, unjudgmental love. Genuine, sacrificial love. Will that be our prayer as a church, as, as we grow? That the town would know that we are Jesus' disciples because of our love for each other, radical love for one another. I pray it would be so. But we've also got this idea of loving everyone else. What does that look like? Well, if you've still got those verses in front of you in Luke chapter 10, just scan through, see what, see what happens. He's asked, who is his neighbour? And he tells the story of the good Samaritan. Perhaps you know that story where a man is beaten and then ignored by all the sorts of people you'd expect to help him. They walk by on the other side of the road. They, don't want to, they just don't want to know. And it's the Samaritan, the, the enemy of God's people, who comes and helps and cares for the man and really loves him. <laughs> that, that's, that's what God's looking for. That kind of sacrificial love, the unexpected, unexplained. 
Is that what we're going to be known for as a church? That we love other people too. That we've been shown mercy, so we show other people mercy too. I think that's hard. Do you know what Kenilworth is well known, isn't it, for its good works? There are lots of people in our town who do lots of good things. And there's all organisations and all sorts that I'm finding out about that they, they, they care for other people. They do lots of good. That makes it hard for us to be distinctive as a church because people are already doing lots of good things. We need to think. I'm not sure I've got the answers, but we need to think, what does it mean to really be radical in how we love others that, that people pick up and notice the difference that Jesus makes to our life? Let me know if you've got thoughts. I'd be really keen to hear yeah, if you've got ideas about what it means to love people like that. I hope you can see why this is such a key aspect of our mission statement. We need to be known for our love, just like Christ was known for his love. And it is something that I believe we will grow in. It's not something we can force and say, right, I've just got to go and really love people now. Because it, well, eventually, you know, very quickly it'll just become all about the outward and not our hearts. It comes naturally as we grasp God's love for us. As that becomes more clear, as we see that more clearly, we begin to love other people in that way. So sometimes we might not be feeling it, but we do it anyway. We're called to that action. But ultimately, if we're loved by God, if we're shown such compassion by him, we should love everyone in that same way. Why don't I pray? It would be their case for us. Let's pray. Loving Father, it is amazing to consider your love for us. As the creator of the universe, as the maker of all, so vast, so mighty, so glorious, how you love weak sinners like us. We just thank you. We thank you for the grace that has been shown to us. We thank you for Jesus laying down his life to save us. Please, would you keep that central in our hearts help us know that so deeply know the security that comes from that that it's just natural for us to love you with everything that we have right from inside right to to everything we own will be use those things for your glory because we love you and then please lord would you work in us as a church to, to, to to love each other well to love each other sacrificially and then to show love to kenilworth to, to the surrounding area Lord, there are so many people who need that love, need to know you. Give us compassion. Give us the generous, caring heart. Give us the strength to do that in our weakness. Just please help us be known for our love. In Jesus' name, amen.